Welcome to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom here on this second Wednesday of February as we come off of National Signing Day and uh, move ever closer to spring practice. I just announced last week that the spring game will be on April 16th. So only a couple months away uh, from being back in the shoe and watching some uh, spring football should mean we don't have an official start date for spring practice yet, but should be only about a month away from that. So a lot to look forward to here as uh, the offseason continues to roll. I think we got to start with the biggest news of the week, though. The new Ohio Stadium field design has been unveiled. Has they kept it pretty simple? What are your thoughts on the new design, Griffin? I don't mind the new design. I know a lot of people are kind of hating on it because it is so simple and maybe so similar to the previous design. But let's be real. They were never going to go with some all scarlet field. They weren't going to go the Boise State route. They even put a disclaimer in the release that's saying we can't mess with tradition that much. We were never going to get too wild with it. But, you know, it does when you look through the fan uh, submissions and and how creative some of those were, it kind of does make you think like, Man, they didn't take a whole lot of that into consideration, but I wasn't that surprised that they didn't. Yeah, I like it. I think the thing is when you promote a contest for fan submissions, I think that gives people the idea of it. Like, oh, you're open to new ideas. You're open to making bigger changes. So then they saw it, it's, oh, this is a letdown. So I think kind of a way they promoted it gave people this sense that they were going to do something different, do something more radical, which I uh, like you, I'm not surprised uh, at the route they ultimately went with. But if you guys go to 11 Warriors, you can see that uh, I posted an article with uh, a bunch of the designs that were sent in by the fans. And some of them were pretty creative. I mean, I, I thought there were some that were pretty cool that would have been fun to see. And then some that probably wouldn't have been good to see. I think my personal favorite was the one that had the... Uh, a certain picture of Urban Meyer in the middle of it. That one's pretty funny. So if you get a chance to look up the article, uh, make sure you scroll down far enough to see the Urban Meyer field and, and actually scroll down a little bit further because you want to see the Jim Harbaugh field too. So there, there are some pretty fun ones, but I thought there were some that were actually really good. I thought some of the helmet stripe in the end zone were pretty cool and some of the different concepts that people came up with. But I, I do think the actual new field looks good. I think adding the gray outlines, adding the helmet stripe pattern, behind the end zone, changing the end zone font to the you no know, more official font. I, I do think they're good changes, just very subtle changes. Yeah, and I, I don't think that the Ohio State brass was going to pick the uh, JT was short field design that some fans <laughs> submitted, but I'm still holding out hope that retroactively they might just throw in that Urban Meyer field design at the last second. Well, I was thinking about it like what they should do at least is like, they should have like one game a year of it. Like they changed it up. Like I remember Penn state did that last year where they had yeah, a, yeah. a game where they had the, you know, the green end zones with like the diamond pattern. Now that might be more difficult to do at Ohio stadium with the turf. I don't, I don't know if it's really feasible, but it, it have some fun with it. I think it, it's fun to have some fun with it. And I think if anything, those concepts kind of gave us a sense of how they could have a, a little bit of fun with the turf. Right. And just, I know people are saying that's like exactly the same as the old turf, but like clearly like the font and everything on the, in the end zones is like definitely a lot different. So, I mean, that just, first of all, just jumps out at you. I, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, when you look at them side by side, you can see the difference when 
you just tweet out a photo of the new field, I certainly understand people looking at it and going, it's the same picture. A, a lot of jokes like that on Twitter on Monday. And I, I get it because the, the changes are very subtle. Yes. But Dan, last week on the pod, we talked at length about our conversations with a lot of the new assistant coaches for Ohio State. But on the same day that pod came out, of course, we got to talk to a lot of the early enrollees and, and transfers as well for Ohio State. So we did not get to address that yet. So I think we should go ahead and talk about some of our most interesting takeaways and what we kind of learned from that whole meeting with a whole lot of players. It, it was a long uh, session there with several hours long. And what stood out to you most when talking to some of those incoming freshmen for Ohio State and a couple of the transfers as well? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Caden Curry, it sounded like he might play the Leo position in Jim Knowles's defense, which you know, I made the comment to you last week. I feel like by the time we get to August, we're going to be really sick of his term Leo because I feel like we talk about it every single week and we still don't necessarily even know exactly what it means. But I did think it was interesting to hear that about Caden Curry because if you watch Caden Curry's high school film, he mostly played defensive tackle. And so that Leo position is one that you know we kind of look at as kind of that hybrid outside linebacker defensive end position. And I think when you think about it, you think whether it's, uh, you know, Cade Stover or Jack Sawyer, Javante Jean-Baptiste, different guys who can fit that position. You're kind of looking at like a smaller end defensive end kind of guy or a bigger linebacker kind of guy. And so to hear Caden Curry's name come up, and not only from him, but, you know, from CJ Hicks saying that he's a guy who could play that role. I thought that was interesting because I, I thought maybe he's a guy who would be more naturally suited for that strong side defensive end position as a guy who's has more experience playing inside. Now, some of it's going to depend probably on how his body develops. I mean, he did play defensive tackle in high school, but you know, he's 250 pounds right now. So he, he has, he has the measurables where he could be a fit for that Leo spot. And I think he does have the pass rushing potential to potentially be a fit for that Leo spot. But it is interesting because I had thought Caden Curry was probably a guy who'd be that a strong side defensive end. Maybe could even be a guy who kicks inside and plays defensive tackle and pass rushing situations. And there are some, when you look at how Jim Knowles used the Leo at Oklahoma state, there are some situations where that Leo does move inside and rush from inside. So that could certainly be a fit for Caden Curry's game, but it just wasn't necessarily something I was expecting to hear. And I think in line with that, there had been a lot of talk that Gabe powers would be a guy who could play that Leo spot and talking to him last week, it sounded more like he was probably going to play will linebacker. So I didn't necessarily expect that Iver. So to me, that was probably the most interesting thing I took away just in terms of a couple guys, maybe playing different roles than I anticipated they would be playing coming in. Yeah. And Dan, I, and this is a new regime coming in, of course, in terms of the defensive coaching staff for the most part, other than Larry Johnson, of course, but we know we've seen how fluid positions can be. And of course, a lot of the coaches were telling us that they still don't have a completely firm grasp on all the personnel as of yet. But I do agree with you that those two Things in particular were, were very interesting on the defensive side. And speaking of that new regime, I thought one of the most interesting things was listening to a, a bunch of the guys talk about how the coaches that were their primary recruiters you know, just a, a few weeks ago or a couple months ago or what have you, a lot of those guys are gone now. And you talk about Kerry Combs, Al Washington. I know Gabe Powers said that he was you know shocked to find out that Al Washington was leaving. Even a guy like uh, Diamante Tranum, 
was saying that Al Washington was one of the, the guys that reached out to him when he to transfer to Ohio State. And hearing those guys, Jair Brown was another one. He said he had a really close relationship with Kerry Combs. But in the end, a lot of those guys had conversations with either Ryan Day or Jim Knowles or, or both of those guys and obviously remained locked in with Ohio State and remained committed. But it was just interesting to kind of hear. And now that's unique to these guys because that happens all across the country and many times before. But the fact that those guys leaving, even though they had such close relationships with those coaches, didn't necessarily sway their commitment at all. I thought it was interesting talking to a few guys about that. Yeah, it's always a hard deal when you know you have changes uh, right after a guy arrives on campus. And I think I, I mean I remember those I remember talking to some of those guys in December, and even hearing what Ryan Day was saying back in December. And I think those guys thought that those coaches were going to stick around. And granted, it's a tough balance there. I think Ryan Day probably tried to be somewhat transparent with them, but he can't be totally transparent because. If he tells them, he can't tell a recruit, yeah, we're going to fire this coach before you actually fire a coach. So it, it, it's a tough deal there. Those, those situations are always a, a little delicate to balance. I mean, just based on talking to some of those guys before they came to Ohio State, I would imagine that they were somewhat caught off guard by the fact that coaches like Al Washington and Kerry Combs did not return to the staff. But, you know, a lot of them said it's a business they recognize that that's part of college football and that you have to commit to a school, not just a position coach because coaching changes happen all the time. And I think the one sentiment that was pretty strong among them was that they trust Ryan day and they trust that Ryan day is going to make moves to for the betterment of the team. And granted, you're never going to have a guy in this situation come out and go, yeah, I hate my new coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm really pissed off that Ryan Day did that because for a freshman who's trying to earn playing time right away, it wouldn't be very smart to come out in front of a media and uh, trash your new coach. So you tend to get pretty similar sentiments. But, you know, one thing a lot of them said, which I think is true, is a lot of them said they think it's exciting to have a new defensive staff because it means everybody's on a clean slate. And it really, I mean, other than Tanner McAllister, who was also very interesting to talk to because he was able to give some insight on what Jim Knowles is going to bring to the defense. I mean, other than him, literally everybody else on the team on defense is going to be new to Jim Knowles's system. So that gives these new guys an advantage over a typical freshman in the sense that everybody's going to be learning at the same time. And the depth chart is going to be a lot more fluid going into spring than it would normally be. It's not necessarily going to matter that much who the starters were last year, because especially at linebacker and the secondary, there's big have brand new coaches now. So that being said, I fully expect Denzel Burke to be a starting corner. The way he played last year, I'd be shocked if he wasn't. Ronnie Hickman's not in the lineup. I'd be shocked with how well he played last year. Certainly the things they've done, the things they've put on tape, those are certainly still going to be a factor in terms of setting the depth chart, but everybody's going to have to prove themselves again. And I think it certainly does open the door a lot wider for the new guys coming in where, if you can be really impressive this off season, it's, it's not like you're going to have to, it's not like you're going to have to change minds necessarily. It's not like, I mean, this is going to be true for the second, third year guys too. You guys, you maybe haven't played much. 
you know, it, it, let's say they struggled last off season. That might not matter anymore because their coaches are gone now. They have new coaches. So if they can impress this offseason, I think this offseason is going to be a huge opportunity for everybody on defense to, you know, potentially make a move up the depth chart. And I think certainly when you have a new coaching staff, it increases the likelihood that some freshmen are going to move their way up into immediate playing time. And obviously all the moving parts on defense makes kind of some of those storylines of the incoming defensive players particularly interesting. But a couple of guys on offense too, Dan. Devin Brown, of course, quarterback coming in for Ohio State. He was really impressive to talk to. He had a theatricality about him, I thought, in talking. He, a lot of guys coming in, having a, a media scrum, like it's not the most comfortable setting, right? Like sometimes some guys are just like, a drip and sweat in those type of deals. And I probably would be too, if I was a player with all those people asking me questions, but Devin Brown seemed very natural. I thought, and I know you were uh, really impressed with what, uh, you know, he was saying as well. Yeah. I mean, he just seems to have a natural presence about him, oozes confidence. I, I, he, I think somebody made the comment at some point about how he said Joe Burrow was one of his favorite players to watch. And he kind of has a Joe Burrow vibe to him and just in the sense that he seems very relaxed, very comfortable uh, with who he is. He was cracking jokes. He was talking about how when he was a freshman, he was only like five, five, eight or something. And he got an offer from Wisconsin and his dad was like, really? You got an offer? So he, he seemed very comfortable, like making fun of himself and joking around. And I think that's, a good mentality for someone in his situation to have, because I think he understands the reality. CJ Stroud's the starter this year. That's not going to change. And then next year, you're going to have to compete with Kyle McCord and who knows, maybe someone else to win that starting job a year from now. And so I think you have to have the right mentality to thrive in that situation. I mean, we've seen, other guys have decided that maybe that wasn't the right situation for him, but he just seems to have a really relaxed vibe about him and a, and a presence that I think other players are going to naturally gravitate toward. And so when he was asked about wanting to be a leader, he, I think he was asked something along the lines of wanting to be a leader at Ohio state. Eventually he said, I want to be a leader at Ohio state right now. And just based on first impressions of him, I can absolutely see him being a leader for Ohio State in a guy whose teammates rally around him because of a personality that he has. Yeah, I wrote the quote down here. He said, it's not a big deal if you're not playing right away, you'll have your time. And of course, that's a good thing for Buckeye fans to hear out of a guy that's definitely not going to be playing right away next year. We will see down the line, though. I thought it was also interesting. He was talking about his relationships with you know, all the receivers they are bringing this class as well. We talked to Keon Gray's that day as well. Uh, Devin Brown described those groups as that group as some freaks, which I'm sure a lot of fans would probably agree with if they've seen some of the tape there for those guys. Keon Grays was saying that watching the Rose Bowl, it was just a wide receiver's dream come true is what he said, was watching Jackson Smith and Jigba out there. And he was saying that like, of course, there's all the competition there with all the receivers that are in place already, but he, you know, he can't wait to, to see if, if he can make some of those you know similar plays and impacts uh, down the line with this class. Yeah, and Keon Gray said he wants to be a leader too, as as well as C.J. Hicks, which I think certainly uh, people who have followed Ohio State recruiting over the past couple of years have already seen C.J.'s emergence as a leader. They call him Captain Buckeye. I think there's no doubt that C.J. is going to be a leader in that class, and certainly it, it feels like Devin and, and 
Keon or a couple guys in that class who, who could be as well on the offensive side of a ball. Another comment that Brown made that, that struck me was he, he said, people don't realize how athletic he is when he was asked about George Fitzpatrick, the offensive tackle. And he said that, you know, his times when they've done athletic testing have actually been up there with a lot of the skill guys. And so I don't know exactly what that means, but I don't think it means he's as fast as Jackson Smith and Jigba, but you know, if he's talking about tight ends or whatnot, but I thought that was an interesting comment because he's a guy that I look at as he's probably a developmental guy, George Fitzpatrick. He comes in with decent size. He's already 285, but you know, it's probably a guy who is going to need to get stronger. He's definitely going to need some work on his technique before he's going to be ready to play on the offensive line. But, you know, we've already talked some this offseason about how offensive tackle is a question mark for the future. And so I think they really need to see some younger offensive tackles or less experienced offensive tackles, I should say, emerge this offseason, not necessarily to play this year, but they need to develop depth at that position. They need to see a couple of these guys make significant strides this offseason so that Ohio State can feel comfortable with the guys it has at that position a year from now if both Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones are potentially in the NFL. And so when you hear a comment like that, it's interesting because I think he's a guy. I think he's probably going to redshirt this year. I don't think he's an immediate impact kind of guy, but you know, that kind of athleticism, you get him in Mickey Marotti's strength and conditioning program. You get Justin Fry developing him in a year or two's time. Maybe he's a guy, even though he wasn't that highly rated with his physical tools, his length, his athleticism, he could have the potential to be the guy they need at offensive tackle. And that was interesting to me. Certainly, I think he's a guy who over the next two to three years, his development is going to be interesting to watch. Now, Dan, let's move on to a guy that won't be with the Ohio State program next year. We learned last week that Seven Banks is entering the transfer portal rather than you know enter, putting his name into the 2022 NFL draft. He said he originally planned to go pro but suffered an injury that prevented him from you know taking a, partaking in pre-draft training and whatnot. And, of course, the, the story of his whole season really is on-again, off-again injuries, kind of just a, a strange year in general because – we haven't really gotten a whole lot of transparency about all of his injury issues because we knew he had an injury in the last spring. Then we knew he kind of aggravated something in the preseason, but then he wasn't on the availability list for the first couple of games, but didn't play at all. Then he did play, wasn't a surefire starter during the season necessarily from week to week. He did start some games, but then missed, I think the last, what was it? Three or four games for Ohio state there with the more injury issues. It was not the season that, a lot of people expected from seven banks, especially considering he, you know, was projected a first round pick in a lot of early NFL draft projections, but now he's not going to have that, that a chance to prove those people right in the end at Ohio state, at least because he is, he's hitting the transfer portal. Although he might have a chance to do that with a different team now. Yeah, that was definitely an odd year for seven banks, just from the beginning of the season when he was available, but he wasn't playing. To then comes back middle of a season, he's a starter, and then he's unavailable at the end of the year, and then didn't make an announcement until last week, and then we find out that he's entering the transfer portal, entering the NFL draft. And I, I kind of got the vibe when I asked Ryan Day about it last week, and he, he just said he's moving on and wasn't too direct about it. I kind of got the vibe at that point that 
the transfer portal was where this thing was headed, but we didn't know that for sure at the time. And it's just, it's interesting because I get the impression that I think there's a lot of people who see a situation like this and they go, like, why is he transferring? Like, he's a top three corner at Ohio State. But why does he need to go somewhere else? And to me, I, I get the vibe that this wasn't really his decision to transfer. Now, I think a lot of that is because he had originally planned to go to the NFL draft. And Ohio State thought he was going to go to the NFL draft. And Ohio State is currently at 92 scholarships. So Ohio State really didn't have a roster spot for seven banks at this point. And you know, Ohio State's in an interesting spot right now where, again, we've talked about a little bit already that depending on what happens over the next three months, they may find themselves in a situation at some point where tough decisions have to be made because they could be over 85 scholarships. I think their feeling is things are just going to work themselves out. Enough guys are going to voluntarily enter the transfer portal or choose to leave the program that they're ultimately going to get back to that 85 number. But I think it speaks to the situation they're in roster wise, where they didn't necessarily want seven banks back, even though he's been a starting corner the last couple of years. Even though he, if he was on a roster, he'd presumably be probably the number three corner behind Denzel Burke and Cam Brown. But I say that I think seven transferring to another school is probably the best thing for everybody at this point. Cause I think Ohio state has two good starters and Denzel Burke, Cam Brown. I think they have some promising young guys and Jordan Hancock, Kalen Johnson, who, you know, will push for playing time this year. And I think certainly seven can go somewhere else and start as long as he is healthy. And I do think it's certainly in seven's best interest to be playing another year of college football because Clearly, he wasn't healthy this past season. He didn't have the kind of year he needed to have to live up to those lofty draft projections. And so I felt if he entered the draft, he was going to be a fringe draft pick. And I think he has the potential to be more than that. So I think he could go somewhere else. And if he has a good year, he he could certainly get himself back into at least that middle round draft conversation. So I think it's probably the best thing for all parties involved for seven to, to transfer somewhere else. But, you know, it, it kind of speaks to this new world of college football that we're living in, where you have a, a guy who has been a starter at Ohio State the last couple of years, who's now effectively having to go somewhere else to finish his college football career. Yeah, Dan, and as Johnny Ginter pointed out with a piece on our, the story of seven banks really shouldn't be written without saying he, he didn't put those really lofty expectations on himself going into his final year. Other people put those expectations on him. So if anyone wants to kind of take a shot about how his career wound up at Ohio State, a lot of that wasn't his fault. And it was clear that injuries had a lot to do with that as well. And we were asked about the NFL draft and how many players from Ohio State we expect to be drafted. I think it's pretty clear right now that Ohio State's going to have seven players drafted. I think I feel very strongly predicting that Ohio State is going to have seven players drafted. Not seven, but <laughs> seven with an E, not a Y. But, you know, I think you look at Ohio State's draft class now without seven banks. You know, I think you've got seven guys who, in my mind, all should be drafted. You've got Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. You've got 
Nicholas Petit Frere, Fayer Munford. And you've got the three guys who participated in the senior bowl last week, Jeremy Rucker, Haskell Garrett, Tyreek Smith. I would be very surprised if any of those seven guys weren't drafted. And I think you have two guys who are first round picks and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, the rest a little bit harder to pin down where they go right now. And we'll have more time to talk about that before the end of April. But, you know, I look at it as I think Ohio state is going to have seven players drafted. And then there's a few other guys there, master Teague, Antoine Jackson, Demario McCall, who I, I think they're most likely looking at undrafted free agent opportunities. I mean, you never know a guy like master Teague with his size and speed, if he really kills it at pro day, Maybe somebody takes a chance on him in the late rounds, but I think most likely we're looking at Ohio state having seven players drafted this year. And then a few other guys potentially signing with teams as undrafted free agents. Yeah, Dan, and those Buckeyes that aren't going pro and are sticking around the program are going to have a chance, as we know, to seek revenge on Michigan come next November. And there certainly has been plenty of interesting developments with the Michigan football program here in the last few weeks. Of course, News that Jim Harbaugh is coming back to the program. He was rumored. We we, we thought he was going to the NFL for a while there. There was a lot of speculation with the Raiders job and the Vikings job. Maybe even Jim Harbaugh himself thought he was a foregone conclusion to end up in the NFL, but that's not how it all played out. We found out that he is coming back to the program with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind, as I think what one reporter said that Jim Harbaugh uh, texted them or something like that, which was just a funny, bizarre Jim Harbaugh quote which is par for the course, of course. And then four days later, of course, Josh Gaddis, Michigan's offensive coordinator, the Broyles award winner, he is now departing as well for Miami. And Dan, now that's both of the coordinators for Michigan that seem to make a huge impact on the team this year are now both gone. What do you make of everything that has happened in Ann Arbor over the last couple of weeks? It's pretty wild, isn't it? I mean, this is a team that was just in the college football playoff. Uh, at the end of last season, had the best season in a long time. And it felt like Michigan was back, like Michigan's really in a great place. And now all of a sudden it feels like things are in a bit of disarray up there again. And I think that starts with the fact that Jim Harbaugh made it pretty clear he wanted to go to the NFL. And he interviewed for an NFL job on National Signing Day and was telling people that he thought he was going to get the job before he had even been offered it. And so I think it's pretty clear that Jim Harbaugh had very real interest in the NFL. And I think certainly it feels like the reason why he's back is because he didn't get offered the job he thought he was going to get offered. I think that's why he's back. And so you never know for sure with Jim Harbaugh because he's a quirky guy. He, he, He can be unpredictable. And so, you know, maybe he really did have a change of heart during that interview. And maybe that's why he's back. Maybe he really does mean it that this is the only time he's going to do this and he's fully committed to Michigan now. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe they'll be back in this situation a year from now. I don't know what to predict there, but you know, certainly I don't think it's at least not a complete coincidence that Jim Harbaugh you know, flirted with the NFL for a month and now both of his coordinators are gone because you know, certainly I think if you were an assistant on that staff and your head coach is exploring NFL opportunities, you're going to explore your own opportunities too, because you don't know what's going to happen if there's a head coaching change. And certainly if Josh Gad is choosing to go to Miami over the weekend, it sounded like he was not going to be the choice to replace Jim Harbaugh. If Jim Harbaugh left, 
and that he took that personally and that that's why he's now at Miami because there was a reported text that he sent to his players in which he said that he felt the administration had made it clear to him that he was not appreciated. I know there were rumors out there that if Michigan was going to promote from within, that that Mike Hart was more likely to be the guy who would replace Jim Harbaugh and Josh Gaddis. And so I'm sure all of that has a lot to do with Josh Gaddis leaving Michigan. Mike, Mike McDonald leaving for the Baltimore Ravens. That one, I mean, Mike McDonald was already in the NFL. He's been with the Baltimore Ravens. That defensive coordinator job opens up. That one might have happened anyway, regardless of what happened with Harbaugh. So I don't read as much into that one. But you know, to lose both of your coordinators, two, two coordinators who I think were both very integral to Michigan's success last year, certainly it, it creates an interesting situation here now that, that Jim Harbaugh has to manage. And it'll be interesting to see who he hires to you know, replace them as coordinators. I mean, there's been a lot of coordinator changes at Michigan in recent years. And so this isn't necessarily a new thing that Jim Harbaugh has to deal with. But certainly it's not an ideal thing when you have as much momentum as you've had as a program in a long time coming off a college football playoff berth to now be, re- be replacing both coordinators and to be facing all these questions about why Jim Harbaugh was interviewing for an NFL job. It just... It, it, it creates a sense of instability in Ann Arbor. Now, at the same time, I, I think we should be careful not to overreact and act as though well, Michigan's going to be awful this year. It's all falling apart. Like these things happen. I mean, coordinators leave. It's part of, of the process. These things happen. And so I, I don't think all that momentum is gone from the college football playoff run. I think some of it is, though. I think some of it is, though. I think this is not the way that this past month is gone is not necessarily the way you want to build upon having such a successful season. And I think if you're looking at it from a, it's weird because Ohio State just replaced half its coaching staff, and yet it feels like there's more stability at Ohio State now than there is at Michigan, even though Michigan had the better season last year. Well, Dan, I'm curious to get your take on this because we even, we ran a poll, I think, of, of it, of are Ohio State fans happy that Jim Harbaugh is coming back? Would they rather have him came back or left, basically? And I think it was overwhelmingly that they're happy that he did come back because I think a lot of the perspective is now Ohio State will have a chance to get revenge on Jim Harbaugh's first win against Ohio State this past year rather than him winning that one game and then going off to the NFL and kind of riding out on that glory in the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry, if you will. But my kind of take is that Things, the disarray that might have happened with Harbaugh leaving might have been advantageous for Ohio State, at least in the short term. But what do you kind of make about that question? Because I think that is a, definitely a, a topic of debate amongst Ohio State fans right now. Yeah, I, yeah, it, it's hard to it's hard to say. I mean, I think, yeah, I think if you have a, if they had lost their you know head coach, I mean, certainly that would have you know created more disarray up there, and certainly. You know, you look at what you know they just did last year. I would think, yeah, short term, it it would have benefited Ohio State. Now, I think the question now, again, for Michigan long term is whether Jim Harbaugh really is committed to that program long term. Because I, I don't think it's going to be soon forgotten that he came that close to leaving for the NFL. And so, 
I think naturally there's going to be speculation now. Okay. Next off season, does Jim Harbaugh explore the NFL again? I think certainly if you're going to, if you're recruiting against Michigan, that's probably something that you're going to bring up and, and go, Hey, I mean, Jim Harbaugh almost left Michigan last year. Are you sure you want to go there? And so I think it's something that Michigan is going to have to deal with. I think some damage has already been done here, just in the sense uh, of Jim Harbaugh looking that closely at the NFL, but you know, at the same time, it's something that they have to manage. I mean, it's, we're talking about this in February. It's not necessarily going to have any impact on what happens between September and, and December. And so I do think, yeah, I think for this year, yeah, it's a good thing for Michigan, but Jim Harbaugh is still there. It would have benefited Ohio state more if Jim Harbaugh wasn't still there though. My feeling would be that Ryan day is probably glad he's still there because Ryan day would probably like some revenge on Jim Harbaugh after that whole third base comment. That's right. That's right. And yeah, in terms of my expectations for Michigan next year, I would not be surprised at all. If Michigan had a bit of a regression, I don't think they're just going to be in complete shambles necessarily next year. I, I don't necessarily foresee that. But yeah, I mean, you just kind of have to wait and see how everything rounds out with that situation. And but I also I also would not be surprised if Michigan. I, I doubt Michigan's going to be the toughest threat for Ohio State, but I also think that Ohio State is going to treat Michigan like their toughest threat next year, no matter what happens, because they're going to have more motivation forever, like you just alluded to, to beat Michigan and avenge that loss, especially with it being the first game in Columbus in several years. Yeah, I think they have to treat Michigan like the biggest threat after what happened last year. And like you, I'm not sure if they really are because you know, they are losing a lot from last year. They're losing basically their entire defensive line, which obviously had a massive impact on last year's game. You know, they're, they're losing a lot of talent on that defensive side of the ball. And so I think you, you take away all that talent and you take away Mike McDonald. I think it's reasonable to expect somewhat of a drop-off on the defensive side of a ball for Michigan. I know they're also losing some key offensive linemen. I think offense, they return some, you know, strong pieces. Cade McNamara, JJ McCarthy are both back at quarterback. And Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards are both back at running back. You know, they had a lot of young wide receivers last year who were kind of inconsistent. Maybe one or two of those guys can really become more consistent weapons. Next year, they bring back Eric Gall at tight end. So I, I think they have some weapons on offense to where I wouldn't even be shocked if they're a little better on offense, maybe not up front, but I think in terms of skill positions, I think they can maybe be a little better on offense than they were last year. I think the defense probably takes a step back. And so I, I'm not going to predict that Michigan's going to win the big 10 again next year, but I, I still, I do think that you have to treat them as the biggest threat, the toughest competition for next year, whether they will be, we'll see. I mean, Michigan state kind of came out of nowhere last year. And so I think they're certainly a team that you got to watch for if what Mel Tucker's building up there. Penn state's another team that they haven't been quite the last couple of years. If they had been years before that, but they did just bring in a strong recruiting class. Uh, they're still right up there as one of the most talented teams in the Big Ten. So they're certainly another team you got to watch. And then I think on the West side, Wisconsin's probably the team that I look at as the biggest threat to Ohio State. It would have been a bigger threat if they had actually managed to land Caleb Williams. But you know, that's a team that was really good on defense last year. They've got a really good young running back 
in Braylon Allen. They always have strong offensive lines. They're going to need Graham Mertz bounce back because he did not have a great year last year. We saw some immediate potential from Graham Mertz when he became Wisconsin's quarterback. He hasn't really been able to build on that. So I think uh, they need to see progress from him this year. Yeah, I know they did just bring in a new offensive coordinator, Bobby Ingram from the NFL. And so he might be able to bring some new things to that offense to make it a little bit more explosive. But, you know, I think I look at it like if I was picking who I think the second best team in the Big Ten is going to be right now. I mean, I do think Ohio State is going to be the team to beat in the Big Ten next year. But I'd probably pick Wisconsin. as I think the team that's probably the biggest threat to beat Ohio State. I do think they're probably going to be the most complete team in the conference other than Ohio state, but definitely not sleeping on Michigan. Like it's going to be a totally different vibe going into that game than it's been in past years. It's no longer Ohio state's beats Michigan every year. That's just what it does. No, it's, you got to go out, you got to play your best game of the year because we saw last year when that didn't happen, how that game went for Ohio state. And it's funny to see on, on Twitter and everything like that. There's all these uh, counters now of how many days it's been since Ohio state beat Michigan, which is just <laughs> hilarious to see because most of my whole life, it's been all those Twitter accounts and, and posts counting down the last time Michigan beat Ohio state. And, and you knew that was going to flip as soon as Michigan finally was able to get that win. And we are starting to see that now. So it, it all makes it more fun for next year's game. But Dan, there's still football being played this weekend, as a matter of fact, and there's definitely some Ohio and Ohio state ties in this one. A lot of Ohio pride in general going into this game because, because, of course, the Cincinnati Bengals are in the Super Bowl. Can you even believe that we're saying those words? Who would have ever thought? Led, of course, by Joe Burrow, former Buck. Or is he, Dan? Or is he? <laughs> well, we'll talk about that. But, of course, several other Buckeyes are, are starters for that team as well. We're talking about Isaiah Prince, Eli Apple, Von Bell, Sam Hubbard, all those guys. So, so for that reason and several others, a lot of Central Ohioans and Ohioans in general are, are going to be uh, glued to their TV set next weekend to see if the Bengals can pull it off. Yeah. I mean, even if you're not a Bengals fan, if you, I mean, if you're a Browns fan, it's probably hard to bring yourself to root for the Bengals, but even if you're not a Bengals fan, but you are a, a Buckeyes fan, which I'd assume you are, if you're listening to this podcast, certainly plenty of reasons to root for Ohio state four to six reasons. If you want to take a page out of the urban Meyer playbook there, depending on your perspective, because there's, Four guys who everybody agrees are Buckeyes, Von Bell, Sam Hubbard, Eli Apple, Isaiah Prince. And then there's two guys who played at Ohio State but didn't finish their career at Ohio State, those being Joe Burrow and and Keandre Jones, just being a special teams guy for them. But all of those other guys playing major roles for the Bengals. So I know our Matt Guttridge, who is a, a great researcher for us, he did the math and not even including Burrow with Bell, Apple, Hubbard, and Prince. Sunday is likely going to be the first time that Ohio State has ever had four starters in the Super Bowl. And so uh, a huge Ohio State presence on that team. But certainly the debate that has raged throughout the college football world here for the past few weeks as Joe Burrow has had this success. Is Joe Burrow a Buckeye? It feels like Every day, it's an argument that I see on social media, and especially anytime Joe Burrow gets asked about it, that kind of adds more fuel to the fire. So what do you think, Griffin? Do you think Ohio State fans should be able to claim Joe Burrow as a Buckeye, or do you think that it, we should just be considering Joe Burrow an LSU player? All right. I, I, let me say this. I am definitely 
I'm not like a a complete diehard Browns fan per se, but I'm definitely way more of a Browns fan than I am a Bengals game. As an example, I once went to a Bengals game and they were not playing the Browns. I wore a Browns jersey to the Bengals game and got so much shit for that when I was at the game. So if if that goes to show you anything, but because I'm a more of a Browns fan, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit at all the Ohio State fans kind of claiming Joe Burrow and things like that. But I think the, the, the other thing is he's also an Ohio guy. He's an Athens guy, right? So that that plays into the kind of the Ohio heartstrings as well, more than just the fact that he went to Ohio State for, for several years and kind of developed there. But yeah, it's like he won that national championship with, with LSU and maybe even Ohio State fan, you definitely would have liked to see Burrow beat Trevor Lawrence in that national championship game like he did, especially considering how the, the semifinal went for Ohio State. But still, it's like, he had like all that success at LSU. So yeah, he's a Buckeye, but I think he's a Buckeye lower on the totem pole than he is an LSU tiger or this, that, and the third. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you could say that to say that Joe Burrow is a former Ohio state football player. That's a fact. It's, it's an accurate statement. It is. That said, Quinn Ewers is also now a former Ohio state football player. And in the world of the transfer portal, there's going to be a lot more former Ohio State football players who didn't finish their careers at Ohio State. And so I think that's where it gets complicated because I, I think back to the Super Bowl a year ago when Jamel Dean was in the Super Bowl. He, he, was, he was very briefly at Ohio State, but he is technically a former Ohio State football player. N- nobody was claiming Jamel Dean for Ohio State. You know, I think based on the comments Jamison Williams made earlier this year, a lot of Ohio State fans don't want to claim Jamison Williams because he said they don't claim him. He doesn't claim them. And so I think that's where, like, if you're going to, like, objectively talk about former Ohio State players in the NFL, you can't just include Burrow and not include all the other guys who transferred. And so I, I think absolutely, I mean, there's a reason why if you look at the Bengals roster, LSU is the college listed next to his name. L- LSU is where Joe Burrow became the number one overall pick. I mean, Joe Burrow is in the situation he is in now because of LSU. So he is an LSU player more than an Ohio State player. I, I think everybody should agree on that. But like you said, I think the fact that Joe Burrow is an Ohio guy that has a lot to do with it. The fact, that he, the fact that he graduated from Ohio State and the fact that he left the program on good terms. Joe Burrow has never had a bad word to say about his time at Ohio State. He's always been very complimentary. He still has many friends that he played with at Ohio State, still has good relationships with people like Ryan Day and Mickey Marotti. And so I think all of that makes Ohio State fans identify with Joe Burrow in a way that they don't necessarily identify with other players who transfer. And so, yeah, I think when we talk about, if you're talking about Buckeyes in the NFL for the purposes of comparing Ohio State to other schools and in terms of talking about the talent Ohio State has produced, I don't think you should include Joe Burrow on those lists, but I still think Ohio State fans should feel every right to root for Joe Burrow and be happy for Joe Burrow. And I do think that, It is fair to say that Ohio State played a part in getting Joe Burrow to where he is today because Joe Burrow even says that himself, that Ohio State played a part in getting him where he is today. So he's more 
a former LSU player than he is a former Ohio State player. But I think the fact that Ohio State still feels some allegiance to him, I think that's reasonable because he did spend three years at Ohio State and he himself is proud of the time he spent at, at Ohio State, which I think adds to this conversation. Yeah, and I think part of it, his popularity right now is just like so sky high. Like, have you ever seen a quarterback with a higher like universal approval rating as Joe Burrow currently has? Like, I think that accentuates the, the feelings of kind of wanting to jump on those coattails if, if there's some tie, like the Ohio tie, of course, and Ohio State. But Dan, you've been covering uh, Ohio State, of course, longer than I have. And so you've you know covered some of these Bengals players that were former Buckeyes as well. Who surprises you in terms of guys that, are starters for this team in the Super Bowl now? Are you seeing any of those guys and going, man, I would not have thought that this guy would be a starting caliber player in a Super Bowl? Yeah, I'd have to say Isaiah Prince because you know, he was a guy who certainly had an up-and-down career at Ohio State and has had an up-and-down career in the NFL. I mean, he, he was drafted in the sixth round. He was cut by the Dolphins as a rookie. Then he opted out of last season due to COVID-19. And quite honestly, I, I think a lot of people wouldn't have been surprised after he made that decision if that had been the end of his NFL career. And when he went into this season, I mean, he was far from a lock to even make the Bengals roster. And now he's starting for them at right tackle. And so, you know, I'm, I, as something I'm going to be writing about this week, may even have a story up by the time you're listening to this podcast about Isaiah Prince's journey from Ohio State to getting here for the Bengals. And I, I'm sure Bengals fans listening to this podcast, a lot of them haven't necessarily been pleased with the play of Isaiah Prince either. But the fact that he's starting in the Super Bowl, I mean, that's a heck of an accomplishment for him of everything he's had to overcome to get to this point. And you know, the fact that I just don't think many people would have projected that he'd be a Super Bowl star three years out of Ohio State. And so I think He's the guy who's at the top of a list there. And I think another one too, that is a surprise in the sense of it's a surprise from a year ago at this time is Eli Apple, because I mean, Eli Apple was a top 10 NFL draft pick. I mean, Eli Apple was projected to be in this position when he came out of Ohio state, but you look back, you know, to last season, I mean, he got cut by the Panthers and he didn't get signed by anybody. And so going into this offseason, I mean, he went unsigned for a while. He signed a one-year, basically a minimum level deal with the Bengals. And again, it was a guy that's like, he's going to compete for a roster spot with the Bengals. And now he's ended up becoming their top corner. The, the only guy who's played more snaps than him on defense is his fellow former Buckeye, Von Bell. And so that's a guy who wasn't necessarily expected to play a big role for the Bengals this year, who again has become a major piece of this Super Bowl run for them. So I think that's a fun thing if you're an Ohio State fan to to watch this game is just to see all, all these different guys who have gotten to this point from Ohio State and, and the different journeys they've taken. Like Sam Hubbard, he's taken a pretty uh, linear path to this thing. I mean, he grew up in Cincinnati, had a great career at Ohio State, got drafted by the Bengals, and now he's a star for the Bengals. Like he's had a pretty smooth path, but you know, you, whether we're talking about Apple or Burrow or Prince, uh, a lot of these guys have had very different journeys from Ohio State to the Bengals. And now they, they've got a chance to really accomplish something absolutely massive in all of their careers. And to your point about Eli Apple, when, when you search his name in YouTube, I believe the first thing that comes up, the first several things that come up are just like Eli Apple getting burned compilation. 
because I, I searched his name the other day. But that just goes to show you how far he's come in a short period of time in terms of being in this position to maybe win a Super Bowl and be a starter for this Bengals team. Of course, I mean, you can't be that surprised. If you're talking about guys that you're least surprised to see in this position, to see a guy like Joe Burrow being the number one overall pick, Heisman Trophy winner, national college cha- uh, championship winner for LSU. But I mean, it still is surprising, though, just how fast it's happened. I would never have thought that it would happen this soon, especially with him suffering that injury just last season. Yeah, you keep thinking back to that Mike Weber tweet from like 2018, where he said, Joe Burrow's the next Tom Brady, and y'all don't even know it yet. Well, here it is. Just like Tom Brady, Joe Burrow is in the Super Bowl in his second year as an NFL quarterback. And so, yeah, I, you know, I feel like we are witnessing the start of what could be a really special NFL career for Joe Burrow. And certainly if he wins, we've already talked about, he's already become a superstar. He's already become one of the faces of the league. But if he can lead the Bengals to a win on Sunday, there's no doubt that he is going to be one of the uh, biggest stars of the NFL. And probably even more Ohio State fans will be wanting to claim him if he's able to accomplish that. We uh, we typically make our game predictions uh, during the season. So uh, let's go ahead and make our predictions for the big game right now. Uh, the Rams are a four-point favorite. Over/under is forty-eight and a half. Griffin, what kind of game are you seeing on Sunday? Well, first of all, the thing is, like, it's hard to pick against a team that seems to have the a better line play, right? Especially with Aaron Donald and whatnot for the Rams. So, I mean, when you're thinking about a football game, you're like, how do you pick against a team that might dominate the line of scrimmage? But we've seen the Bengals still win games in which their offensive line got ran through before, especially even in these playoffs. And as much as my head might be telling me to go to, with the Rams, even though I don't really have that much of a connection with the Bengals, I still have to root for the Bengals. I feel like as just an, an Ohio person in general, I mean, like in the, the Bengals, just the long suffering and everything like that. I mean, it just goes with the spirit of kind of the, the championship droughts in, in Ohio with the professional teams and everything. So for that reason, I'm going to be a Bengals believer this weekend for, for the sake of Cincinnati and, and, and Joey Burrow as well. I am too. I mean, I agree with pretty much everything you said there, but yeah, a lot of times in these big games for teams that for better lines win these games and the Rams are that team. So logically, that's why the Rams are the favorite. Logically, I feel like I probably should pick the Rams, but the Bengals just seem to have that quote unquote team of destiny thing going on. I mean, again, you make the connection to Tom Brady and the Patriots 20 years ago. Like it, they just seem to have that kind of unexpected run to a championship thing going on. And that doesn't really decide who wins football games, but you know, Joe Burrow's a gamer, man. He just, he finds a way to win games. And it feels like that whole team has that mentality right now. Of just, they just find a way to get it done. Even when it doesn't look like they're going to, they just keep finding a way to win games. So yeah, I think on paper, the Rams are rightfully the favorite, but I'm with you. I'm going to go with Bengals. I'm going to say something like, 24, 21, 27, 24, something in that range. I think the Bengals get it done. I think they win their first ever Super Bowl. Makes sense to me, Dan. Makes sense to me. Let's talk about some Buckeye basketball now. Uh, 10 games in less than a month now for Ohio State because they've had so many games postponed and canceled. We might be hearing some firm dates on cancel or on reschedulings here any second, maybe even by tomorrow, we might have those dates. Ohio State's coming off of a win over Maryland at home. It was their first home game in 19 days, which sounds insane, but it is the truth. It might've been Ohio State's most impressive performance since coming back from their 22-day COVID layoff that, that ran through the end of December. 
But yeah, I mean, Ohio State, they, they've also had a road win over Minnesota. You could maybe throw that in the same category just because Minnesota and Maryland are both kind of in the same category in terms of being some of the worst teams in the Big Ten in the standings right now. In that game against Maryland, Justin Arns and Zed Key had their best performances, each of them, in, in quite some time, especially for Justin Arns. He was a guy that was really struggling, lost his starting job for Ohio State. It was a nine-game slump for him where he was shooting like 21% from three or something like that when before that he had been shooting closer to 45% from three. So if, if he can get back on track, that's definitely a positive sign for Ohio State. But yeah, Ohio State's coming off of a game cancellation not that long ago. But a positive for Ohio State is that most of those games down the stretch are going to be home games. And the two games that are going to get rescheduled for Ohio State are also going to be home games. But yeah, Dan, how do you, uh, where are you at with the Buckeyes right now in terms of the, the quality of, of play that they've uh, put forth here recently? I, I thought their game against Maryland on Sunday, to me, was probably the most impressive performance we've seen from them since the COVID layoff. They had a lot of momentum there late November, early December, beating Duke, really winning big against Wisconsin. I thought those were, you know, two really impressive performances. And then all the momentum just stopped with that COVID layoff. And so I think we kind of expected that January might be a little bit bumpy, might have some ups and downs, which it did, but I thought Sunday was as well as they've played since 2022. In my opinion, I think especially Justin Arns, Zed Key, both those guys had their best games in months. EJ Liddell was EJ Liddell. And, you know, it was just a really well-rounded performance. Like they just, they controlled the game from start to finish. They shot the ball really well, which had been an issue in January. They're just really in every area of the game, like they, they played well. Like there was not one area in that game where you looked at it and went, Man, they really struggled in that area. And granted, Maryland's not what it's been in past years, but that's still a team that has talent. Like that's still a team that has the talent uh, to come in and, and beat a team like Ohio State. And so I thought that was a really strong performance for Ohio State. Obviously, I think the question now, you go into this next four weeks, 10 games in four weeks, that's a lot. So how are the Buckeyes going to navigate this stretch? I think it helps, certainly that six of those 10 games are going to be at home, but that's still a tough stretch. And I think the thing you have to be careful with and, and Holtman acknowledged this on the radio show is they can't use everything up here in February. We've seen it before where this team has a great run at some point in February, early March, and then they run out of gas in the tournament. So that's going to be the challenge for this team. I mean, if you look at 10 games over the next four weeks, then the big 10 tournament, then the NCAA tournament. So that's a six to eight week stretch here where Ohio State's going to play a lot of basketball. So they have to not only build momentum, but they have to be able to sustain momentum. And I think that's going to be the challenge here for these Buckeyes is you can't, as you go through this gauntlet here, you can't peak too soon. You can't, you could go on a great run and then you could fade at the end of the year. So I think that's going to be the challenge is just, how do you get through this next month without becoming both physically and mentally exhausted to where maybe you don't have your best stuff saved up for March when you really need it? And that's exactly what happened last year. They, they were all banged up by the time they were done with the Big Ten tournament because they were just finding their way into overtime games, really tough games in the Big Ten tournament, somehow winning them. But then by the end, when that overtime lost to, to Illinois, they were just completely spent. I mean, Justice Suing was all banged up. Kyle Young missed the last few games of the year, and then they fell completely flat at Oral Roberts. 
And so, yeah, and that even looking at like the performance reviews that Chris Holtman did about the last uh, season, he said one of the one of his main priorities for improvements for this year was trying to be healthy by the end of the year here. And it's going to make it harder with it being a 10 game in a month stretch here with some guys already being uh, banged up with Amichi Johnson having that face mask and Jamari Wheeler recently missing games with a foot injury, Eugene Brown having a toe injury as well. So they're going to have to, to work around that and maybe arrest some guys in practice. A lot of guys have been wearing walking boots recently for uh, preventative measures and stuff like that too. So yeah, they're going to have to change some things up, but they also have to finish strong here as well in the regular season. All right, two road games this week at Rutgers and Michigan. Which game will be the tougher test, Griffin? They're both going to be dangerous games because Rutgers has already upset at the time the number one team in the country, Purdue, at home. Rutgers also just destroyed Michigan State at home, who was number 13 at the time. And Ohio State's going into the rack now. So that's a dangerous one for that reason. Rutgers also has a very slow tempo team, so it's kind of uh, dangerous in in that sense because it might be a a low-scoring affair, which is probably not uh, what Ohio State would love to see. And then Michigan, of course, Michigan's had such a, a down season compared to what you know everyone thought they were going to be this year, but they still have a ton of talent on that team, and it's still going to be you know in Ann Arbor. So with Hunter Dickinson averaging like 18 points a game and a couple of five-star freshman guys on that team and some solid veterans as well, they're both really dangerous. I think Ohio State should win both of those games, but Ohio State has not played its best ball on the road in the Big Ten this season, so they are going to be both dangerous games, and I could probably see them splitting uh, splitting those two games. Yeah, that'd be my prediction too. I think I'd predict one and one. I think if Ohio State could go two and zero this week, that'd be a really good week for Ohio State because you talk about it. The, the road is where they've had problems. I mean, they haven't lost at home. They've played great at home, but they've had some problems on the road. So if they could go two and zero this week, that would be a, a fantastic week for Ohio State. If they can go one and one, I think you'd live with that. Certainly, you want to win Michigan, though. I think especially uh, with the way this year has gone in sports for Ohio State against Michigan, I think that's one they'd really like to win uh, against Michigan. And so we will see how that. I think if I if I'm predicting, I'm going to predict they lose against Rutgers and they beat Michigan. I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go beat Rutgers, lose to Michigan. As a matter of fact. Interesting. Well, we'll see how it plays out. going to be another interesting week for Ohio State hoops, playing Rutgers tonight and then playing Michigan on Saturday. And and you will be there in Ann Arbor for that one. And so a big week ahead for Ohio State basketball. Of course, the offseason continues for Ohio State football as uh, we start to close in on spring football. So be sure to tune in again next week and we'll talk more about all of that. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great week.